Second Kings chapter 9 verses 1 through 13 is our text. Second Kings 9 1 through 13. Now Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Gird up your loins and take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. When you arrive there, search out Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and bid him arise from among his brothers and bring him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not wait. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And when he came, behold, the captains of the army were sitting and said, And he said, I have a word for you, O captain. And Jehu said, For which one of us? And he said, For you, O captain. He rose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. You shall strike the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male person, both bond and free in Israel. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. The dogs shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Then he opened the door and fled. Now Jehu came out of the servant, uh, out to the servants of his master, and they said to him, is all well. Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, you know very well the man and his talk. They said, it is a lie. Tell us now. And he said, thus and thus he said to me, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then they hurried, and each man took his garment and placed it under him on the bare steps and blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. The reading of Holy Scripture, be seated, please, as we seek God's face in prayer for the preaching and hearing of his word. Lord, your word is truth. We believe it to be absolute truth. Sanctify us now in the truth of your word by the help of the Holy Spirit. 
that we might know and obey your holy will. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ahab's dynasty reigned over the northern kingdom of Israel for 36 years. Ahab for 22 years, his son Ahaziah for two years, Ahaziah's son Jehoram for 12 years. If we add in the 12 years of Omri, Ahab's father, that's nearly a quarter of a century that this dynasty lasted in the northern kingdom of Israel. During that time, there were abundant opportunities for repentance, showing that Jehovah is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. We've observed this especially throughout the Elijah and Elisha narratives. So many overtures of God's grace to his people in the northern kingdom. Jehovah had pronounced judgment on Ahab's dynasty through Elijah's prophetic ministry, 1 Kings 21, verses 20 to 24. And since that pronouncement, God has remained active behind the scenes as the godless line of Ahab uh, continues to dig its own grave. But now his, uh, the judgment of the house of Ahab is to take center stage. The long-announced judgment on Ahab's house unfolds with astonishing speed in 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10. 2 Kings 9-7 is at uh, the literary and thematic center of uh, the text that we're considering tonight in verses 9 to 13. Verse 7 reads, You shall strike the house of Ahab your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. Deuteronomy 32, verse 34, summarizes well the theme of this text. Jehovah will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance against his adversaries and will atone for his land and for his people. So that's our theme tonight. Uh, God's vengeance uh, against his enemies. It already should uh, hold our uh, uh, attention because uh, Christ has enemies, God has enemies, they are our enemies. Uh, and so uh, whenever there is vengeance spoken of, uh, it should arrest our attention. But it's also relevant to us in a significant way, as we'll see later as we come to consider the vengeance that God took 
on the cross at Calvary. We'll consider first the instrument of Jehovah's vengeance, and secondly, the nature of Jehovah's vengeance. The instrument and the nature of Jehovah's vengeance. The account of Jehovah's vengeance here begins with the prophet Elijah's orchestrating of the anointing of a new king over Israel, verses 1 through 3. By anointing Jehu, Elisha was really completing the work that God had given Elijah to do, a work that had been left mostly undone when the former prophet died. In 2 Kings 19, verses 15 to 17, God had instructed Elijah to anoint Hazael over Aram, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahola, uh, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall, shall come about that the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elijah, Elisha rather, shall put to death. Elijah, back in uh, the record of, of, of 1 Kings uh, 19, um, immediately anointed Elisha. And that's the only part of, of this instruction that uh, the prophet Elijah actually carried out. And so in God's providence, the, the anointing of Hazael, uh, which we considered uh, in 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 7 to 15, and Jehu are left to uh, Elisha to complete. And not even Elisha, but one of the sons of the prophets sent by him would anoint Jehu. No failure on Elisha's part, but simply a demonstration that it was Jehovah's word and not the speaker that mattered. So Elisha instructs his understudy, one of the sons of the prophets, in verses 1 to 3, the man was to go to Ramoth-Gilead, uh, where Israel was fighting against uh, the Aramaeans, uh, a very, uh, an interesting place for an anointing of a king of Israel to, to take place. Uh, he, was to t he was to take a flask of oil in his hand. Uh, he was to anoint the captain or the commander, Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, not to be confused with Jehoshaphat, the uh, king of Judah, uh, as king over Israel. Anointing Jehu as king was uh, apparently dangerous because Elisha told him to run away as soon as he had done so. Verse 3. The anointing takes place in secret as uh, Samuel's anointing of Saul took place in secret. Saul is king over Israel. Uh, the, servant of the, the, the servant of the prophet arrives in Ramoth-Gilead 
finds the captains of the army sitting together, says to them, verse 5, I have a word for you, O captain. And once the ambiguity is cleared as, uh, as to which uh, captain, uh, then he and Jehu go into the house, verse 6, where he poils, uh, pours the oil uh, over his head and announces, thus says Jehovah, the God of Israel, I have anointed you as king over uh, the people of Jehovah, even over Israel. Uh, and then he runs away, uh, as he'd been instructed to do. And then as Jehu emerges from the house, Jehu's fellow officers question him about uh, this crazy young prophet who had just run out the door, and uh, Jehu tries to keep it a secret. But his comrades called him on his lie and pressed him further, so he comes clean, and uh, verse 12, thus says Jehovah, I have anointed you as king over Israel. As soon as they hear the news, I've always uh, found this practice quite fascinating. They spread their garments under uh, Jehu's feet, blew their trumpets, and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So Jehu is anointed as king over Israel. Of course, Joram also called Jehoram, was still king over Israel. But now Jehu has been anointed, as so often took place. One king would be anointed, even while another was reigning who would succeed uh, the, uh, the king currently on the throne. Uh, Jehu is now anointed as king. He was anointed as king for one reason and one reason only that he might serve as the instrument of Jehovah's vengeance against the house of Ahab. In this case, the prophet said to Jehu, you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of Jehovah. I will avenge, Jehovah says. But Jehu was God's instrument of divine vengeance against Jezebel's bloody persecutions. The instrument of Jehovah's vengeance. Secondly, the nature of Jehovah's vengeance. In the first place, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Our text teaches us, vengeance is mine, I will repay, uh, writes Paul uh, in Romans 12, verse 19, quoting Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. Jehu was anointed to be the avenger, but Jehovah is the primary actor. Note this emphasis in verses 9 to seven, I will avenge, verse 7. I will cut off, verse 8. I will make the house of Ahab like Jeroboam, verse 9. Now, in this case, vengeance was delayed. But sooner or later, God always avenges the death of his faithful servants. Uh, the martyr 
that John saw under the altar in the vision of the fifth seal in Revelation 6 and verse 10. The martyrs wrestled with this idea of God's delaying in avenging them for their death. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You remember the answer that the martyrs got in Revelation 6 and verse 11. They were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Vengeance may be delayed, but it would come because God always avenges the death of his faithful servants. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance belongs to Jehovah. Secondly, Jehovah's vengeance is thorough. Jehovah's vengeance uh, vengeance belongs to to, to Jehovah. And secondly, uh, Jehovah's vengeance is thorough. Jehovah's wrath leaves no sinner unpunished. So he told Jehu to kill every last one of Ahab's sons in the kingdom. Verse 8, the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male person, both bond and free in Israel. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. The biblical principle at work here is that the sins of the fathers will be visited on his sons down to the third and fourth generations of those who hate him. Exodus 20, verse 5. Ahab's sons shared in Ahab's guilt. In order to exact thorough vengeance, Jehovah determined that Ahab's entire house was to be punished. Jehovah's vengeance is thorough. Third, Jehovah's vengeance is personal. God notices the particular sins of particular people and punishes them accordingly. Notice the two-beat emphasis in this announcement of judgment. The house of Ahab and then Jezebel, verse 7. Then again, verses 8 and 9, the house of Ahab and Jezebel, verse 10. Consider in particular how he singled out Jezebel for judgment, verse 10. The dogs shall eat Jezebel in the territory of Jezreel, and none shall bury her. Elijah Elijah, had uh, had made the same prophecy 
Years before 1 Kings 21, 23, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Israel. God noticed Jezebel's sin. He saw the way that she worshipped Baal. 1 Kings 16, 31, he observed how she slaughtered the prophets. Chapter 18, verse 4, he overheard her death threats against Elijah. Chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, he witnessed her plot to murder innocent Naboth and steal his vineyard. Chapter 21, verses 5 through 16, God not not only noticed these sins of Jezebel, but he held her accountable for her sins. God's vengeance is personal. But then, fourthly, God's vengeance may be deadly. God operates according to the strictest standards of justice. An eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth. In this case, there were murders to avenge. The whole house of Ahab and Jezebel had, been, had slain many of God's faithful servants, the prophets, and therefore their royal lives were to be forfeited, as were the lives of their children who shared in the guilt of their family. The first to die at Jehu's hand was Ahab's son Joram, uh, the reigning king of Israel, 2 Kings 9, 24. Then Jezebel, chapter 9, verse 33. Then Ahab's 70 sons, chapter 10 and verse 1. He also gathered all the worshipers of Baal in the house of Baal and and killed them, eradicating Baal out of Israel. Jehu, uh, whatever else we may say about him, uh, was a reformer in Israel. Jehovah's vengeance can indeed be a deadly business. Three things to remember uh, in our text, uh, from this text before us. In the first place, remember that God is vigilant to avenge his suffering people. The Lord had kept a tally of every prophet silenced, every servant butchered at the hand of Jezebel under Ahab's watch. That tally uh, includes all of his servants in the church who have died being put to death today, and all of those who will be put to death in the future because of their faithful testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jehovah remembers every last one of his martyred servants, and he is vigilant to avenge his suffering people. Secondly, remember that vengeance is the Lord. Paul exhorts Christians 
in that uh, 12th chapter of Romans, there are many uh, very practical uh, exhortations uh, in that 12th chapter. Uh, but one of, them, one of them is this in, in verse 19, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You and I are not Jehu. We're not God's chosen instruments for judgment. But we come to understand from what we've seen in our text and elsewhere in Scripture that God is completely committed to seeing that justice is done. And we must learn to trust Him for this, even if His vengeance is delayed. The psalmist says to the Lord himself in Psalm 89, verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Therefore, because vengeance is the Lord's, uh, and because we are not instruments of the Lord's vengeance, as Jehu does, we must refrain from seeking our own uh, vengeance on others. I have a good friend, spiritual mentor of mine, who uh, used to joke about this, uh, vengeance is the Lord's, I will repay, says the Lord, uh, but he never says anything about getting evening. Uh, even, rather. No, uh, no, vengeance, repayment, whatever form, in whatever form we express it, is uh, the Lord's. So, when fellow believers come under attack, uh, which they do in our day, in the church of Jesus Christ around the world, then, uh, or when we ourselves come, come under attack, uh, Christians pray. They pray for God's mercy on those who are being persecuted. They pray uh, that they will endure with faithful patience and faithful testimony. But we may do more than simply praying uh, that they that the Lord would show them mercy, or that the Lord uh, and that the Lord would uh, would grant them faithfulness in their testimony. Uh, to him, we may also cry out to God to be our avenger, and rightly so. For vengeance belongs to the Lord. Deuteronomy thirty-two forty-three. Jehovah will avenge the blood of his servants, and will render vengeance to his adversaries, and will atone for his land and for his people. So we must remember that, that Jehovah is vigilant uh, to avenge his suffering people. We must remember uh, that vengeance is the Lord's. Uh, and thirdly, we must remember that forgiveness of sins could not be accomplished without God's avenging his wrath due to sin. God must and God will judge 
sin. Divine justice demands that payment be made for sin. Sinners will be eternally judged unless they repent and turn to the cross where Christ paid that debt for sinners. God forgives sins by offering Jesus Christ on the cross as a substitute for those who believe in Him. God determined to let His vengeance against the sins of His beloved people fall on His beloved Son on the cross. That vengeance was deadly. We should stand in awe of God's vengeance displayed in the cross of Jesus Christ. And we will forever be thanking Him for it. Let's pray. God of all glory, God of all mercy, God of all grace, God of patience and kindness, God of steadfast love, God of vengeance. We do, O Lord, stand in awe of your vengeance, the vengeance that we see throughout uh, the, especially throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the wrath uh, that you poured out upon sin. But we also know that uh, your wrath is not uh, relegated to the Old Testament, that, you, that your wrath due to sin remains, and that your vengeance was poured out on our Lord Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross as our substitute. He took vengeance for us. And we are in awe, O Lord our God. We marvel at the cross of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the Savior that you have given for your people. We're thankful, O God, that you were determined to send your only begotten Son to serve as a punishment for our sins, that your wrath might be exhausted on him, that we might not suffer that wrath ourselves, but instead have eternal life. We thank you for this. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for your great love, that you so loved the world, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Receive our thanks, O God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.